Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Sport podcast. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport. I'm the reporter Max Miller and I'm speaking to director Samson Collins, whose most recent sport documentary is Gaza, which came out on the BBC this month. Gaza is a very unique documentary telling a story of kind of a big icon in British football and outside of football. So when you were first approaching the story, how did you decide to use Gascoigne as a prism to look as a wider look at the press and to look at wider society in the UK rather than kind of a straight documentary about Paul himself? He is synonymous with 90s Britain, biggest celebrity in the country, you know, arguably apart from Princess Diana. Um, so I was watching some footage back and thinking, wow, you know, this would make for an incredible archive documentary. And then, you know, you're looking at it and saying, OK, there was a film made about him in 2015, Jane Preston's Gascoigne. She did that, you know, did a job very effectively of, of telling Paul's, you know, story in his own words. So if we wanted to make a film, if we wanted to make a film, how do you differentiate? And so I was sort of researching around it, reading Cheryl's um Gascoigne's book, um, Stronger, at one point, and, uh, and I suddenly sort of twigged. I'd read um, a few books around this, but I just sort of gradually became aware quite how involved the tabloid press had become in, in Paul and Cheryl's personal life at stages in his career. And when I say involved, I mean, you know, really intimately involved in, in their personal life. And, and that this was a story which I don't think anybody had quite sort of twigged, and, and that actually those members of the press who had become so involved in, in, in their story have, have since gone on to become incredibly influential still in our modern media. And that actually by telling that story, really it was an opportunity to, that really encapsulated, that's what Gaza's story is, is really about. It's, it's about a guy who arrived at a perfect moment. He became famous at the moment when Murdoch and Maxwell were squaring up for, for the tabloid um, supremacy. And, and obviously Maxwell fell by the wayside, but that that battle continued. And, and if you owned celebrity over the 90s, you controlled um, the, the, the tabloids and that allowed you, gave you a powerful platform politically and et cetera, et cetera. And, and Gascoigne became, like Diana, um, a, an opportunity to, to, to sell newspapers. And, and that's the, you know, for, for, my, for my mind, that story and, and the consequences of that for Paul, which is in itself um, reflective of, of what happened to so many other celebrities over that period, um, you know, is a, is, a, is a story of modern Britain. You know, as you're going to someone who, as you document, has been so poorly treated by the media, was it some, an easy yeah. situation to get his blessing or was it something where you had to work on it? No, I mean, we, you know, that we had a, a large cast of of characters where, where we felt we needed a critical mass of people to tell the story, Paul obviously being absolutely central to that. And I think it took us, you know, probably a year to to, to, to bring him on because you need to make that approach the right way. You need to really understand the story you're trying to tell and to to convey that to him and, and to make clear that what we, I was sort of confident that if we told his story properly, given so much of it is already in the public domain as well, this isn't a hagiography. We, we have to understand and contextualise his flaws as well. But that, that was the, the best chance we had of reframing Paul so that people might understand the extraordinary um, pressure he was under over this period and, and, and look at him in a, in a new light. And um, so, yeah, Paul, um, that, that was a, obviously a very, very big moment where we, where we managed to, 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 to get him to give, him, give us up his blessing. 
was it something where obviously a lot of people speak about him in the interviews in the documentary was it something kind of you got yes. a few of them on board first and then that helped to make it clear like oh if these people are interested then it's better yes but, but but a lot of them also wanted to you know to know that paul gave it his blessing so right. it was yeah. it was it's you know you obviously you're you're working alongside you know it's important to time the approaches right in these things and to make sure that 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 those people understand that this is going to be something which is slightly different perhaps to some of the things that have been done on on Paul in the past as well so yeah it's it, it obviously a really complicated thing and and you have to um at all point you try to remember that this is something that these people it's not a piece of content this is something that these people lived it was their lives and and actually a really incredibly and serious and and difficult period for a lot of people it, it wasn't you know this wasn't just it, obviously paul is the main character and and he, what happened in paul's life and and the, the down, his downfall is is well documented but this was also a a sort of phenomenon that destroyed a lot of people around him as well and 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 had a big impact on their lives and so we always tried to remember that as well yeah and one of them one of whom is um cheryl his now ex-wife um of course you really didn't shy away from telling her story alongside Paul's. So we spoke to Cheryl very, very early as well to try to say, look, you know, we'd, we'd really love to give you, we, we, we appreciate everything you've been through over this period. And we think it's really important that we represent your side of the story. She declined to talk to us, which we totally respect. And we've done our, our best to represent her perspective um, through through the archive material and, and things that we have to show and you know for what it's worth as well I, I think she was also a victim of the the tabloid press over this period as well and and that's something that we very much tried to we hope comes through in the in the film definitely I think it's something which gets kind of washed over a lot when people talk about Gascoigne they don't concentrate on that part of his life so it's good to see it away from that obviously you got the the blessing of Paul and other people involved in the documentary but then in the making of it you decided to well pretty much make the most of the documentary without Paul himself speaking and without him or Paul himself now talking and being involved. Um, how did you come to that decision? Well, that was, again, it was a decision. You remember, I remember talking very early on with producer Gareth Dodds and editor Emiliano Batista and, and Graham Taylor, you know, that, that we were very um, clear at that point that the difficulty, if you introduce Paul now, is it, it, dominates everything he'd spoken already in in Gascoigne um as the film I mentioned previously and I, I, I felt you know the power of a lot of this was was understanding actually that that this film certainly really is a, is about a battle to control the narrative and that actually that the I felt you know we felt that the most powerful way of expressing that was to show Paul in the archive you know if you think back and you you've seen the film a lot of that Think how many times, you know, it's about a guy who, who comes, he's this extraordinary charisma and this extraordinary ability. And he there's something about him that makes the public fall in love with him right from the beginning. And he craves the public's attention for reasons that become clear, you know, as things that he's struggled with in his childhood, et cetera. And right away from the beginning, he is, um, you know, giving interviews where he's saying, listen to me listen to me, don't listen to the press. You know, he's actually calling the press to try to control the narrative. And he's then followed, he was almost the re original reality show over that period. He had chrysalis cameras were following him. Um, you know, they did three documentaries on him over 1990, 1991, um, through to 1996. And um, he is there saying, 
this is, you know, I'm, I'm the one you should be speaking to. Don't listen to what the papers are saying to me. They're talking rubbish. And then gradually, you know, he, he's trying to say, you know, I'm in control. I'm, I, and that's actually one of the things people would say often about Paul, that retrospectively we look at him and say this is always going to happen. But at the time he was not, it didn't feel like that sometimes you know he was he was actually this incredibly successful strong individual who was performing at the top level regardless of all the sort of mad things he was getting up to off the pitch but but there was a point where that changed you know and when after the injury in the FA Cup final after his um you know things were really starting to go wrong in Italy and you see the narrative change on screen where he's suddenly admitting you know I'm really not I'm not coping here I'm struggling with this and then you have three or four years where he is saying to everybody, you know, again, he's, he's admitting in that period at Rangers, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm in a house by myself, I'm thinking about things that have gone on in the past, I'm wondering what Cheryl's up to. I'm really struggling. But we as a society didn't understand how to deal with that. We were still just focusing on all the jokes he was telling. He's been submerged by everything that's happening, as as we understand the tabloid practices, the the paranoia, um, the the phone hacking, the the complete um, whatever the right word is. You know, he was surrounded. You know, there was complete infiltration of his life, the intimate personal relationships he had as well, and he is submerged. He he cannot get anywhere close to controlling the narrative, and um, that is, you know, the the press have completely taken over, and that is. Um, you know, the very long answer to your question, but we felt that that was something that was best shown in the archive rather than a retrospective interview. Through the archive, you can see almost just from how he looks, basically, and how his life is going totally. at the beginning. When he's going fishing and he looks like this young guy who's got the world at his feet, and then later on when he's at Lazio and so on, he's looking like a different person almost. Totally, exactly. And, and so you see it in his face. And the reason, you know, we fought so hard for this to remain as, as archive, you know, really grateful as well that Western Edge Pictures, who came on, they were our, uh, producers alongside Haviland Digital and Mark Stewart Productions. They all really bought into this whole same aspect of it, you know, which was that this is by staying in the archive rather than going into talking heads, you gain so much of the film in terms of being immersed in Paul's transformation over that period. Um, which shows, you know, it's, everything is visible in his face, right? And and um, but also you're telling a story really of British culture over that period as well, which is so important to stay immersed in that archive and see the people, the figures who are still familiar today, to see the the way that life has changed. And um, anyway, so so you know, it's you can only make one film, and you have to make these decisions and and hope that they're the right ones. And and I think we all feel confident at this point that we're happy with with the ones we made. So how did you make it flow? I guess when you're using archive, can it be difficult to kind of switch from one piece of archive footage to another without it being jarring oh. between each one? Yeah, I think I think that the, our editors Emiliano Batista and Graham Taylor, you know, deserve just so much credit for for the their role in this film. You know, editors get the the least credit, but they're the most important part of the jigsaw from my perspective. And they've the job that they've done on this film is completely extraordinary. I mean, I think, you know, with you mentioned archive films, I mean, obviously, again, you can't really talk about archive documentaries without referencing Asif Kapadia and Chris King, James Gerrish, the work they've done on Senna, Amy, Maradona is extraordinary and, and redefined, I think, the, this sort of whole genre. And um, I suppose that, you know, inevitably you're looking at it and saying, right, well, we don't want to just be derivative of, of their films. I suppose those those projects um, have a lot more rushes to, to deal with. We we 
definitely haven't had that. Um, we've had a few bits of family archive, but largely it's a collage of 90s news media, which makes for its own complications as well, because you're trying to reimagine footage that's already been edited to bits, which is, again, where the work that Graham and, and Emiliano have done is, is so important. And the film, in a way, transitions, I think, from being a, a more traditional sporting biography or, you know, or, or a traditional tale of, um, of, of say, uh, you know, people, you know, Paul being let down inadvertently by the people around him. It transitions then into something which is more of a, I don't know how you would, I don't know the best way to describe it, but I mean, I suppose, you know, you've probably sensed some level of influence of Adam Curtis in that second half, the way that you're really telling a story about how the tabloids have consumed um, British media over that period. And you have to, at that point, take a step back from Paul, the character, and look at a bigger picture and bring that side of things in. You can't make a, you can't make a film like this if people want to do it on the cheap or to turn it around in a year. It doesn't happen. How did you approach and how did you decide that you wanted to follow it in kind of quite a a news style kind of fashion, I guess, in terms of who was spoken to and how it was they were spoken to? I mean, the funny thing is there's so much great footage that we've ended up losing, you know, like completely unique, original stuff that just doesn't fit the story. The difference between the three-hour cut of this and the two-hour cut is just gigantic. And really the story begins to select itself uh, the challenge with this was always the the balance between the the biography of Paul Gascoigne and the um, and the story um, that we were really you know trying to tell, which is how the tabloid press grew over this period and and destroyed him. We you know we had people like Alan Shearer, we had Brian Robson, we had the, you know Terry Venable, you know we had loads of great interviews that again didn't make the cut because the story that was relevant was the story those close to him who witnessed his commodification they witnessed his rise they witnessed his commodification they witnessed his fall um and and you know and and those people often you'd look in the background of the footage and you say right there's jane nottage that's a figure that probably not many people in the paul gascoigne story were you know people who feel that they already know this story they might not know who jane nottage is but yet she's critical to understanding what happened to paul at this really important period of his life same with someone like a, a Don Peretta when Paul was playing in Italy Mel Steen Len Lazarus more well-known figures but you know their perspective um, is vital in terms of Paul's story and actually often the footage you're, you're, you're which is most relevant is actually the footage which contains them and and is most relevant to the things that they're saying if that makes any sense you're doing essentially a sort of deep dive. It's almost like being a forensic psychologist, looking at dates and times. And, and again, with Paul's story, I think one of the most important things was removing repetition because he was constantly getting up to stuff. He was constantly in chaos. It was always get down, uh, fall down, get up, fall down, get up. You know, things are going wrong. He'll score an extraordinary goal against St Mirren. But that can't be relevant to our story. What's more relevant is the, the most important beats like, He's in a low before Euro 96 and somehow pulls himself up to become this extraordinary national hero again. But look who's waiting for him. It's the tabloid press. Our editors have just done the most extraordinary job in terms of not just selecting the footage, but also interrogating the narrative as well. Using archive, is it about to make sure it doesn't become a straight retelling of the subject's life? So you're not just replaying all the footage straight through, which I think can happen sometimes. Is it about making sure that you pick out those other stories and making sure there are more than one character kind of thing in the in the storyline? Paul was 
he was most, as I said, incredibly famous over this period. So the question is then, how do you reflect that in a way that can make the story relevant to as many people as possible? You know, we, you have to do that on a filmmaking perspective, because otherwise you've got no hope of achieving your budget if you can't make the film accessible. And so, yes, you know, the, the cultural relevance of this, as I said, you know, taking Paul's story as a footballer and then relating it to the, what was going on culturally. And, and so then, as a, you know, you, you referenced um, certain sort of figures in the tabloid world there. And they were obviously that was the research I, I referenced at the beginning, understanding how intimate their involvement was in Paul's life. So then, yeah, obviously you you need to you can't just have someone being interviewed and saying, oh, you know, she was friends with X, Y, Z. You need to see that and feel it and, and feel and understand the um, the overpowering presence in the story. And so that's when, again, you know, the hard work of finding it in the archive, because that was the beauty of, of, of this is when you're, you know, when you're on something, onto something, when the story and your thesis, for want of a better word, converge, the, these people are actually there in the archive at those moments, playing that role in the story. You're scouting loads of bits of footage that people have perhaps seen a million times, but never looked in the right places. And there they are in the background, if you look hard enough. This is still pervasive in our culture, and that this is something that, you know, hopefully we should appreciate both our own role in, in buying the newspapers and essentially giving these journalists a mandate to, to conduct themselves in this way. But also say, look, we have choices to make now. These people are still so incredibly involved in our media. Is that right? Do we do we believe that's the way we want to go as a society? And, and that's... Um, you know, so again, I've gone a long way from your question, but but it all comes back to that sense of um, you know, of of, re, of using yeah, a genre, you know, true crime horror to to reevaluate something that's happened in the past and reframe it for people. Do you think that the musical score is vital to linking together all the archive footage and making sure that it is telling a story? Completely. I mean, it's so 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 important. Um, we were working with Temp for a long time on this, which is really complicated because you're just not getting into that space. And it helps. I, th I find it helps you as a filmmaker to really interrogate what a scene is supposed to be doing as well, especially on a on a film like this, which can take such a long time. It's like making a a thousand word puzzle out of like two hundred thousand pieces, you know, because you're constantly trying to understand is this right? Is this little scene right? It might not be feeling right because the thing before it's not right, the thing after it's not right, the music's not quite right. So, so you're always trying to understand when is the right time to stick and when is the right time to twist and that, that something is not doing what it needs to be doing. And music is, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's to some extent something that you can put on at the top and it can cover something which isn't working. But for me, it's also something that is absolutely integral to interrogating what you, uh, what you as the filmmaker intend a scene and um, a part of the film to be doing. And um, yeah, Ben, I, I, you know, I just can't, it's been a dream working with, with Ben because he's got such an instinctive um, feeling for, for the film you know you know when you i remember speaking to him very early on in this and he was like i was like you know have you seen it and he said i've seen it four times you know and i was like okay brilliant you know because that's what you you want you need again in a, if you're going to achieve it's such a collaborative thing you need people who are working on it to be as enthusiastic as as you are you speak then of it being making a kind of a thousand piece puzzle with two hundred thousand pieces and so that kind of signifies the 
massively laborious process of making an archive documentary. Um, yes. And so what would be your your top tips? Making sure that it tells your story without just repeating the story that was being told by a new story 20 years ago. Make sure you've got a great subject. We were really lucky with Paul because I say, I like say, you know, lucky, it always feels a bit ridiculous because it's a story of everything that went wrong for him. But in terms of visually, he was this incredible, he's an incredible subject that's proven. The reason his story happened was because he connects with people. So I think it, 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 the, it all comes back to story. If you can be convinced about the story, uh, whatever uh, element of um, whatever means you want to tell, whether it's purely archive, whether it's largely archive, dramatic, whatever it is, comes back to that story and and um, if you know if if that's there then you'll I think you find everything else um, alongside it if that makes any sense it, it, it sort of you know to say with that with that the, when you look when you when you know where to look because so much of it when you're interviewing people from the past again their brains they have a, an absolute sort of it's like going to a a shop and they've got these things on display which are the obvious things but you you just don't know what unbelievable riches they've got in their store cupboard and your job is to try and understand and unlock that what's in the recess of their brains that they've potentially forgotten about which could be the key to your story and so research 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 understanding trying to um, get inside the head of your characters um what were they thinking at the time and and so that you know that for me has been the absolute key with this. It all comes back to those spreadsheets that I did with literally every single date, um, you know, in, in Gaza's career and, and, and putting that up against cross-referencing against all the books and all the sort of stories and all the, you know, people who had said, oh, this was filmed in a book in 1991, you know, and so you're like, okay, I'll go and find that footage, you know, and, and um, yeah, so it all comes back to the, the hard work at the beginning, I think. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadcast Sport Podcast. We'll have more soon. So subscribe now and we'll see you on the next one.